You're listening to Music is Inspiration. Visit us online at musicisinspiration.com. Frank Singer on guitar and Joe Doris singing and playing harmonica to Autumn Leaves. The duo are entertaining guests at the Anchor Inn in Erie, Pennsylvania as part of their weekly Friday night jazz set that runs throughout the fall and spring season. This is the opening performance for the fall and the duo plays to a packed house filled with jazz lovers, both young and old, all eager to enjoy another season of quality music. Initially, one might not think of Erie and Erie County, an area with a population of a little less than 300,000 people, as a hotspot for jazz. However, Erie proves to be an oasis for such music. Much of this can be credited to Frank and Joe's hard work and dedication to Erie's jazz scene. After arriving in Erie in the late 80s, following years of studying, performing, and building their reputation and skill as musicians in Boston, the two arrived with their band, Cats a Bear, and decided to call it home. The duo had a common goal in mind, tap into Erie's jazz community and expand the city's jazz scene. The Anchor Inn sits in the basement of Oasis Pub on Westlake Road in Erie, but feels like a venue right out of the West Village. Guests walk down a staircase in the back of the club to reach the cozy, classy, and intimate spot that guarantees weekly jazz sets from Frank and Joe, frequently accompanied by other talented local and nationally known artists who have grown to love and recognize Erie's outstanding jazz music. At the Anchor Inn, Frank and Joe have established a popular spot for jazz lovers to spend their Friday and Saturday nights. musician, Frank Singer is at the top of his game. A graduate of Berklee College of Music in Boston, Frank has studied and composed 20th century music, performed in countless jazz ensembles, and established himself as a skilled jazz guitarist, though he also plays drums, piano, saxophone, and bass. Frank's also a teacher and the co-founder of Cats a Bear, a band that himself and Joe Doris began in 1982 during their time in Boston together. Cats a Bear was founded with a major purpose in mind, to always write challenging music that pushed the musician's skills to a new level. Franks also performed in many other bands, including the Erie-based reggae, funk, and Latin group One World Tribe, while also having gigged throughout Boston, Philadelphia, New York City, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, and more. Frank's hard work and devotion to his instrument is certainly apparent, as he speaks to guests with his personal, energetic, and phenomenal performances. He's devoted to his craft like none other, and provides residents of Erie, Pennsylvania with the opportunity to hear the highest quality jazz right in their hometown. Frank Singer is a true inspiration, and I was grateful to have the opportunity to speak with him. Well, um, guitar was sitting around the house, basically. Uh, my brother had 
either taken a couple of lessons or one of his friends had given him one or something like that. And um, when he wasn't home, I got my hands on it, tried to figure it out. And then I took a few lessons for a couple of years. Um, it wasn't my first instrument. I actually studied piano for a year, but I got thrown out for not practicing. Um, so, I don't know. I just really latched onto the guitar. It was kind of an escape for me. Um, kind of just a place that I went that was my own. And I really just got into it. Um, my brother turned me on to Allman Brothers, and I just kind of went nuts trying to learn what they were doing. I just loved that stuff. As I started getting closer to high school age, other things were going on in my life. By the time I got to my junior year of high school, I was sort of dissenting a little bit, and so I ended up dropping out. So, I, you know, my mom, of course, wanted me to do something worthy uh, besides float around. So she said, you know, I said, well, look, find me a music school with nothing but music. And so she did, um, sent me off to Berkeley. And so she sort of made that connection. Um, so, I mean, I just I kind of fell into it, really loved it. I think I had always known I wanted to do something creative. Uh, my father was a, a visual uh, artist. That appealed to me a little bit. Um, writing appealed to me a little bit. But the music just really kind of hooked me. Frank attended Berklee College of Music in Boston and received a composition degree in 20th century music. It was during this time that he also began to develop his love for jazz. I had listened to jazz back when I was living in Jersey because um, we got the Philly radio stations. I had no idea what I was hearing. I don't know if you know the Philadelphia free jazz scene, but it's a little free, okay? You know, <laughs> they really like to play. So I might have been hearing some of that, but I, I didn't hear the music the way I understand it now. It sounded desperate and, and not necessarily connected. So I was always interested in it, but I really didn't know what I was listening to. So when I got to Berkeley, of course, that was the big topic, the big theme. That's when I really got kind of introduced to the music. Heard a lot of players, obviously. Went to see Joe Pass, you know, sitting, you know, 15 feet in front of me, with his little guitar in his hands, stunning the entire audience. I saw Bill Evans' trio, same place, you know. So I got immersed in that music there at Berkeley. After graduating magna cum laude at Berkeley, Frank was introduced to Charlie Benakis, a well-loved jazz pianist, composer, and teacher. Charlie has influenced jazz students and teachers since the 1950s due to his groundbreaking techniques for teaching improvisation, ear training, and composition. Frank studied guitar and piano with Charlie for many years following Berkeley while advancing his skills as a musician. First time I talked to him on the phone, I had this vision of this guy it's almost like this scraggly, hermity kind of hippie guy, you know. I just, hey, man, what's, oh, yeah, sure, wait, I'll see you then, wow, you know. And you go to see him, and he looks like an insurance salesman. You know what I mean? A nice, clean shirt with, a, you know, pinstripe, you know, short hair, you know, just gentlemanly-looking guy, really nice, you know, hip and everything. Um, and Charlie, I, I don't know exactly how to say it, but the guy didn't have a bad bone in his body. He was, like, so gung-ho, loved what he taught, was excited about passing it along. You know, he, he just, he, he imparted his love of music and the genius of his teaching. He somehow figured out how to teach the most complicated music that there is on the planet, perhaps has ever been, and simplify it and put it into a system. Point A, point Z. I was blown away when he took me through that system. Because I, you know, I've been—I was a graduate of Berkeley. I've been playing for 15, 18, 20 years, whatever. It's a pretty decent player, you know. Could hang. Nothing like what that guy showed me. But when he departed, it was like losing a parent. 
Charlie understood something, I think, very, very profound, um, that he actually helped me a lot with. He kind of got me on my path in so many ways. But one of those is you can never forget that this stuff is fun and that's why we do it. That it's, you know, because it, it can get really serious, right? You try to make a living at this stuff, it can get a little hair raising, right? And it can get really scary, it can get really upsetting, you can have really negative experiences. You have to keep hold of that idea that, th that you love this and this is so freaking cool to do. You know, and that's what he always imparted. So you always came away from those lessons like, wow, yeah, this is great. It was following his years at Berkeley that Frank also met drummer Joe Doris. The two quickly became friends and formed a musical partnership, founding Cats of Bear in the early 80s. However, after jazz clubs began to close in Boston and booking gigs became a challenge, the duo left and moved to Erie, Pennsylvania to begin a new phase of their musical careers. I got to know a drummer named Larry Maxson. And Larry was from Astrobeula, and him and Joe had played together. So Joe was up visiting Larry, and um, he was actually coming up there to study with a German named Gary Chafee. And we started playing together and just really connected. He's from Erie, so uh, we had actually put together Cats of Bear in 82 and 83, and had made some road trips back and forth to Erie, so we started hooking up some gigs here in Erie. Things started happening in Boston. Boston drinking age was 18. They raised it back up to 21. All right. Now, there were about 10 to 12 clubs that were playing jazz on a pretty regular basis, but it was the college kids that were attending these places. All right. So they lost the 18 to 21ers, and the 21 to 22ers are all trying to see what they can do about that C average, so they're not going out. All right. So literally within about two years, there were three clubs left that were having jazz. I played in the Willow once with a really pretty nice band. And I called the guy three times a week for a month to try and get back in there, and he never returned my calls. And I kind of went, you know, writing's on the wall. I'm not going to be able to gig here. One of the things about being a player is you have to go through different phases. Um, Boston was my study phase. I studied music there, you know, or the compositional stuff there, the 20th century stuff. I studied with Charlie. I got my teaching concept together. I, I got out and played and tried all this different stuff. I got on the radio. We made tapes. I learned my engineering up there, you know, for my, my recording skills and things like that. So that was my study place. You reach a certain point when it's time to play. And you've got it, you know, you can practice until the end of the earth, but you have got to take your music into the clubs. Right? I'm one of my little mottos for myself that I pass on to people is club tested, club approved. You ain't gonna know. You could be playing stuff, oh, this is so great. I think everyone's going to love this. And you go on, it's like, oh, what the hell is that, man? You gotta connect. Always looking for that thread that's gonna reach out to my audience. And you have to test that. You have to go into the clubs and play. If I'm up in Boston, I'm trying to play jazz and I can't play. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing at this point. So I knew I had to do something. I knew we could play here. Yowza, Cats of Bear. Gentlemen, thank you very, very much. We appreciate you coming into the studios.
The recording you're hearing is from one of Cats of Bear's radio performances in Boston. Frank and Joe formed the band in 1982 and played frequently in Boston before relocating to Erie. The group was formed with one major goal, to create and play challenging music, the majority of which is written by Frank. We decided very early on that we, I think we had similar goals and similar ideas. Um, the idea behind the band is to create the most challenging music, and then figure out how the hell we're going to play. Um, it's basically our way of constantly up in the game. And that's what I've used that band for for 33, 34 years. So I was writing, you know, obviously wanted to write a bunch of stuff in odd time, wanted to use all this crazy harmony stuff that I learned at Berkeley, you know, oh, let's write some 12 tone melodies, huh, you know. Um, the goals in terms of how we wanted to create the music and how we wanted to put it together were completely compatible. And the purpose for doing that was completely compatible. In other words, it wasn't, okay, let's put this music together and get really famous and, you know, retire and live in Florida. You know, this was, let's play some shit that kicks our ass and see what we can do with it. And that's always been the primary objective of the band. It's not unfortunate exactly, but it's, it definitely points to why we are far less aggressive, say, about trying to play out, trying to pursue, I don't know what, industry connections or whatever. Because it's like, we go down and we practice on Wednesday night, start working on that song in 1716, let's just practice this for a while. You know, and it, it takes, I mean, we'll work on that song for a year and a half. That'll be our warm-up song until we, we just have that groove totally nailed and, you know, we have all the different parts together and things like that. Frank and Joe were ahead of their time with Cats of Bear, using sequencers during live performances to play the bassline of their originals. This was the case for many years, until they decided to start adding more musicians to the band. So we started just really horsing around. We had a, not even a Mac Plus, a Macintosh, the kind you see like in episodes of Frasier sitting on people's desks, okay? Um, like a 512, okay? Take, you know, put the disc in, Turn it on, go have a cup of coffee, maybe clean your teeth, you know, have a little snack. Oh, I think the computer's booted up now, okay. So that was what we were running on, and using Performer Composer, the compatible uh, sequencing programs from way back when. The concept for the band was we used the sequencer as the bass player. Now we're talking about, when did we start doing that? Um, pretty mid-80s, by the time, because we moved here in 89, by that time we were up and running with the sequencing thing. So here we are playing as a duo, but what I found really interesting about this is most of the time when you hear people use sequencing, what they sequence is the drums. It always sounds really sterile, really predictable. Um, it's, it doesn't have the kind of live energy, right? When you use the sequencer as a bass player, especially in jazz, because what's the bass player's job? To lock it down, to groove. And I'm not just talking about swing. You're playing a funk thing, the bass is going, you know, okay, do your job and everybody else is free, right? So you get the cat locked in, put it on the computer. And then, of course, you can orchestrate string parts, horn parts, uh, keyboard parts, you know, all kinds of crazy things. But having the live drums, you know, every time we played, it sounds different. That's the thing. That's what made the huge difference. I've always felt like we kind of were 
15 years ahead of our time with that idea. You know, how many people are doing that to this day, letting the drummer be live and using that thing as a bass player? Everybody wants to use this as the drums because I don't have to carry the drums. But you lose that feel thing, man. You don't got a live cat back there going, psst, it's time to do that, you know? So I, I just think it was a really brilliant way to handle it. two hours to set it up, just two of us, um, and then tearing it all down. I mean, it took longer to do that than it did to play the gig, you know? And then, of course, if one damn thing is wrong, you've got all that stuff running around, you're doing nothing but tracking wires for hours. So it's just, it was just a mess. And we finally decided, you know what, let's get a bass player. And that's when we started working with Tony Stefanelli. He was our bass player for about 20 years. He got just really busy with Romolos. I mean, he really had to put in his time there. So that's when we picked up Joe Fresino, who's our current bass player. Frank still writes new challenging music for Cats of Bear on a regular basis. Frank uses his composition background to write everything, from pieces in odd meters and complicated Latin tunes to even writing variations of Christmas music. Basically, when you play GB, which is general business, um, which means basically you're working for money, okay, um, which I end up doing, you know, during the holiday season, December, I would literally play something on the order of 20, 22, 23 gigs. And in every single one of them, you would play the Silver Bells Silent Night medley four times per gig. You know, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer song five times, you know. So you get to the point after doing this for nine years, so I kind of got sick of it. And then I decided, okay, I, what I need to do is, is make my peace with this music, right? So what I did is I started looking at these tunes, and I said, I'm going to take the melodies, and I'm going to reharmonize them. Then I'm going to write different heads, and then I'm going to give it to the crew. So, like, like for example, um, I did um, Deck the Halls, all right? Now, when you do Deck the Halls, all right, usually it's... A, right? But if, if what I noticed was, you look at the score, right? You look at the sheet music, and you see those. And it's five notes. One, two, and three, four, five. And I'm thinking, oh, well, let's see, you know. Five notes, huh? So I was like, oh, okay, that one works. So we, now we do that one in five. Well, then I wrote a different head for it. That's one of Frank's Christmas variations played by Cats of Bear from their CD. This one originates from Deck the Halls, and he calls it All Decked Out. Though not many people would immediately recognize this as being associated with Christmas due to Frank's new meter and melody for the tune, try humming the original melody and you'll discover the truth. Funny enough, Cats of Bears members didn't even make the connection, initially. Played it for two years, and then I had a little party over here one night, and I had worked it all out so I had the discs and everything, so I said, by the way, We've all been playing Christmas music for two years. <laughs> so I put on the disc and, you know, played the Christmas melodies against the changes that we've been doing. 
Just as they've formed a musical partnership, Frank and Joe are also business partners, working hard to establish Erie as a top location for jazz. Over the last decade, the two have regularly featured top nationally known jazz artists to perform with them, including Tony Monaco, Richie Cole, Cheryl Hodge, Claire Daly, Pete Mills, and so many more. They've also made an important connection with Bob Protzman, one of the writers of Downbeat Magazine, who helps them to continue finding top jazz talent to feature. When you form a partnership with somebody, one of the reasons that you do that is to combine your strengths and, and, and supplement your weaknesses. And Joe is a very outgoing, very social, makes connections, networks, knows how to do these sort of things. I'm a little bit more of a back-end guy, a little bit more introverted. I know it doesn't seem like that, but it's true. I kind of handle the, the, the core work and I write the music, I music direct the band. Um, you know, we make a lot of decisions together based on that partnership. Um, and so combining these strengths together also meant that, um, he, you know, we had some other goals to pursue. And one of the things, obviously, we're straight-ahead jazz players also. Um, we wanted to um, we want to play with people, right? Now, we're not going to move to New York or L.A. or Nashville. You know, we're here. Um, and so what Joe started trying to do is make connections with players who were on the road traveling, singles, looking for a little place to play, you know, and, and starting to, to get these players who are affected so profoundly by the change in the music business because back in the day, a jazz band traveled as a jazz band or a record company put together a band and did tours with it and things like that. And today what's happening, these artists are basically independent. They're looking for work. And they can travel as singles. And we have created here in Erie a firm, reliable set of players who can be trusted to play with these major acts. And that, that's something he and I have been working very, very hard for. So, you know, Tony Monaco knows he can come here and play with us. You know, uh, Greg Hatson knows he can come here and play with us. Ralph LaLama knows he can come here and jam with us. Claire knows. All these people know. It's safe. And then they start telling other people. So if somebody gets a gig with us, say, hey, man, I'm going to hear you play with these guys. You know anything about them? Oh, yeah, no, they're cool, man. Don't worry about you. All right. Don't worry, no stress, all right? You know, they'll, they'll be okay, they'll play the tunes, they're not going to, you know, know one song and have to play it over and over again, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? So we, we've created, a, 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 over a long period of time, because we're really talking about since about, uh, what I mean, mid-90s, really trying to set up that, that connection and, and that feeling of, you know, hey, I'm traveling through, you know, we're really trying to get these guys to think of this as, you know, instead of staying in a hotel for a night, watching, you know, bad cable, you know, come on over and do a little jam and make a couple hundred bucks and, you know, sell some CDs, have a free dinner. She was just ready to let me do baba do me, baba do do ba dee da now I said this joke, but let me do, you're the solo. Since their move to Erie in 1989, Frank and Joe have hosted frequent jazz nights at a variety of Erie venues, including the former popular jazz spot Paper Moon. Now they've found a home at Anchor Inn. It's the only place in this area that I know about that does a regular jazz night 
uh, throughout the fall and spring season. For that alone, the fact that it's a consistent, reliable source, you know, six to nine every Friday, you've got, you know, uh, I'm in there with a different artist every week. You know, Joe and I just did our thing last night. Next week I've got Bruce Johnstone, nationally known player, played with all kinds of people. The following week, uh, Tim Clark. Now Tim is this player, this trumpet player from Buffalo that is just a monster, monster player. Next week, Stan Bialamzi's playing with me. The following week, Tony Stefanelli's playing bass with me. Um, and so we come in, we do these duos. Um, no cover, no smoking in the building, free parking. I mean, it's really, you know, and, and killer food. Jazz and food go together so well. It's just a really good place to hang and hear some really good music. And it, it's, I, it's a great experience. It's, we love doing it. It's like my second living room. Um, it, it's a very hospitable place. It's nice and cozy in the winter. Frank's a jazz guitarist like no other, with a beautiful, distinct sound and an incredible ability to improvise in solo. I asked Frank to share some insight into the idea of improvising and how he's become so successful at it. I was very, very fortunate in two ways. Number one, I found the right teaching. Number two, I was just smart enough to take advantage of it, okay? That education was, as I describe it, linguistic. And what that means is that we assign name, C chord. Okay, well, what is a C chord? Well, C chord is this voicing, that voicing, this voicing, and that voicing. A C chord is, you know, you know, it's all these different things. How can I say C? You feed the kitty. You put it in your ear, all right? You digest it, all right? So you play something, you hear it. Oh, that means, oh, what's that mean? I don't know. In it goes, all right? And then one day you feel like, and out it comes, because that's how you felt that. Right? So it, it's, it's, that's the, the way that it becomes spontaneous. And again, it's exactly like language. So what we do is vocabulary study. So I'm learning a tune, I'm learning a set of chord progressions, I'm learning how to go do whatever. And then you, you put it in a sentence. You, know, you start trying to figure out how to you know, take those exercises and make words out of them, so to speak. And you put them in paragraphs, you put them in songs. That's a story. A song is a story. You tell them a story. So if you tap into that, what you've tapped into is what we already know as human beings. That's the brilliance of it, right? Now, if you don't teach that way, if you don't learn that way, right, play what's on the page. You'll never learn how to speak, right? What you're doing then is you're learning how to um, deliver lines. You know what I mean? And, it, and it's a very, very different skill. Um, and so the practice is vocabulary. That, that's always how I think about it. I'm trying to, you know, that's why I'm so good at just sitting down and doing really regimented over and over again shit because I know I'm just doing vocabulary studies. And I know one day I'm going to want to say that and I'm not going to want the physical impediment of having it be too much of a physical challenge for me to say. The other thing is there's a trust issue. So you've got to find something in yourself or your process or your being that you trust because you don't know what you're going to play until you play it. And that is a profound level of trust. Because what you have to do, really, is you play something and then you react. Well, that sounded good. I'll play it again. Oh, that sounded like crap. I'm getting out of here. That requires this, 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 okay, I, I, I'm going to be okay. I, I'm going to be okay even though I go in this place where I can't predict what's going to happen. It's a very vulnerable place to be. Uh, performance, in my opinion, in, in any genre, it's a very vulnerable place to be because you are putting forward the things that are inside of our real personal consciousness, you know. And so you have to learn how to stand strong in that vulnerability, and that's the other aspect of it. When I go out and play, that's totally me, man. You know, I have to be prepared for putting out there really some of my most personal stuff. For us as human beings, 
opening up ourselves like that is a very vulnerable thing to do and most of us are not used to that. And so you have to get used to that. That's also part of the performance process. It's also one of the things that makes it so difficult for some people to perform, why people have performance anxiety, why um, you run into issues where people either become dependent on their audience or become uh, dependent on substances and things like that to get them through that vulnerability and that fear and that uncertainty, you know. And it's been a real major problem in, in all performance industries because it's a very unnerving thing to do. to sit around on the back porch and drink beer and, and, and you know cook marshmallows I like to sit on stage and drink scotch and play jazz you know I mean it's it's my social life in a way um, much of my social life has been playing music it's it, it is socializing for me when I'm playing I'm talking so I'm kind of social I mean Joe and I get up there and you know we have a great time we're conversing and it, and it I love that kind of conversation so it's it's, I mean, it's just it's fun Bottom line, it's just fun, man. I do care about what I do, and I do care about what I'm putting out there. And there's no malice in it. There's no violence in it. There's no negativity in it. Um, there's life. There's expressiveness. And this is what I feel people should be sharing with each other. And for me to have the opportunity to do that means at least I'm putting my money where my mouth is a little bit. And taking it to the people. That's what it all comes down to. You know, I'm an artist, I gotta get out there and I gotta do this. You know, people come away from our performances all the time feeling better. They had fun. Nothing else, anytime you see me perform, anytime you see some situation that I'm in, man, you're having fun. And it, you know, that's, taking that to people is better than anything. You've been listening to Music as Inspiration with Frank Singer, jazz guitarist, teacher, co-founder of Cats of Bear, drummer and jazz advocate in Erie, Pennsylvania. Learn more about Frank, see a list of his upcoming performances, purchase his music, and learn more about jazz lessons with him, both in person and online, at franksinger.com. Visit musicasinspiration.com to hear additional audio with Frank and to download this episode for free. Frank plays every Friday during the fall and spring at the Anchor Inn, located in the basement of Oasis Pub on Westlake Road in Erie, Pennsylvania, and he books other local and national bands to play on Saturdays. Visit oasispuberie.com to learn more about the Anchor Inn and view an upcoming schedule of performances. Special thanks goes out to Joe Doris, drummer, harmonica player, vocalist, heard performing with Frank throughout the episode, and Alex McLaughlin, upright bass player and music therapist who joined Frank and Joe during their opening night at the Anchor Inn. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Take my lips. You know that I will never, never, never use them. Your goodbye left me without that cry. Why can't I go on, my dear, without you?
Lord, take, take on me.